Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Wolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of Between Two Chairs. Thank you so much for joining us today. With me, as always, is my co-host, the wonderful Jennifer Woolman. <laughs> Hi, and welcome, welcome. Today, we're going to be discussing very generally all about asset classes and the different types of asset classes that as an agent or as an investor, you might want to specialize in. Absolutely. And, and I think it would be a good starting point to kind of define to everybody what is the commonality between all asset classes in commercial real estate? You know, what, what do they have in common? For me is this is where communities are developed. This, these are the places where you shop. These are the places where you go get your services. These are the places where you live. These are the places that provide interconnectivity when you're looking at the industrial sector and the construction of new materials, the development of new technologies. And for me, it's almost like the amenities that are surrounding residential homes are all commercial <laughs> real Correct. estate. You know? Correct, correct. I would agree. It's where we go eat. It's where we basically live our lives outside of the house, right? It's where yeah. we go to work. It's where we eat. It's where we take our cars to get fixed and our kids to their music lessons and Absolutely. everything else. So yes, you know, real estate is the big part that forms the community and it's they're all interconnected as well. So right. even though somebody might want to invest or broker in a specific asset class, yeah. it, I think it's important to know the interconnectivity of each yeah. of them because if you see industrial going up somewhere like I did on a, on a trip that I just took, I saw all of this new industrial being built in an area that I know fairly well, but I'd never seen it before. Yeah. And it's huge. And so then, of course, I started Googling like the name of the industrial park and who's going into the industrial park. And it was Amazon, 1.1 million square feet, Cheney Brothers, 400 and something square feet, FedEx, 300,000 square feet. And I started thinking of all of the jobs, right? All of the jobs that are coming to that area. And I started looking around and there was no housing. And I'm like, okay, where are these people gonna live? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I started trying to connect yeah. the dots and, and thinking, yeah. and what else is gonna have to be built in the area to support all of those jobs that are coming to the area? So yes, definitely specialize, 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 whether you're an investor or a, a broker, but um, definitely yeah. understand how the other asset classes work and what they bring to a given area. Yeah. And just to give you a sense, you know, when you're breaking down asset class, you're talking about retail, you're talking about multifamily, office, industrial, 
hospitality, uh, land, it's its own asset class, and then you have mixed use, and then you have variations within, and we'll break that down a little bit, but I think that that explains not only the complexities of it, but the, the, the incredible opportunity there is in commercial real estate to hyper-specialize, because even within the asset class, there are people that specialize in only one sector of that asset class and do extremely well because they develop such an incredible uh, breadth of hyper-local specific knowledge for that product type that is incredibly valuable to the people that they serve, you know? So why don't we break this down? So let's, let's start with retail, okay. right? That's, I think, where everybody understands retail. So you have banks, convenience stores, daycare nurseries, fast food, restaurants, gas stations, grocery stores, pharmacy, drug, restaurant, bar, storefront, shopping center, auto shop, you also have malls, you have mixed-use buildings, right, where you have retail on the bottom, you have outlet centers, <laughs> you have box stores, you have freestanding, and you have strip malls. Yeah. So even within retail, there's a lot of, yeah. of variety within retail. And then, in addition to the asset class, if you're a broker, are you a tenant rep or are you a landlord rep, right? Yeah. So you can you can get even more specialized. Yeah. So one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, all of us have gone out shopping, all of us have gone to an outdoor restaurant in a shopping strip center. And so there are different variations of what those centers look like. You know, the experience in a mall is very different than in a large center that is anchored by a grocery mm -hmm. tenant versus, you know, a community center. Right. And sometimes you'll go to a place and what I think is important about the retail asset class is in the composition of the stores that are in those centers and how they complement each other and how they serve the surrounding community. And I think sometimes that is, well, not sometimes, I think every time that makes all the difference whether the center is performing well and is maximizing its usability or a center that is kind of just lagging behind the market. So that that's an important component. I think it's very wise when you have a landowner of this asset class that is going to be very intentional into what kind of businesses are going to go where and how those businesses are going to complement each other. And I think it really, I always talk about demographics. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I'm specifically thinking in our area where we are in, in Miami, in the southern part of Miami-Dade County, there are two malls, right, that are really big that, and I'm thinking of two specifically. One is a closed mall and the other one is an open air mall. And I remember when I first moved to Miami, I used to love the open air mall because my kids could run around. I felt like I was an outside confession here. I am not a big shopper. I can't stand <laughs> shopping, but I love retail. Um, I love buying stuff for the home. I love window shopping. I love going out, but I'm one of those that I know what I want. I go out and I get it. I'm also a little bit of an impulse buyer if it has anything to do with home decor or cooking or... Or chocolate. Hosting or chocolate <laughs> or wine. Or so maybe I'm more of a shopper than I care to admit. But going back to this yeah. open air mall, when we first moved here, the mix in that open air mall was very reflective of the demographics in that area. There was a TGI Fridays. There was a Mexican restaurant. There, there's a movie theater. It's still there. Yeah. There was a great mix for 
people like me, right? I was a younger family with, with young kids, so you'd go and your kids could run around, you could have a family meal, yeah. um, you would see parents dropping their teenagers off for the movies, and then they'd go get an ice cream. But I feel like that mall didn't keep up with the changing demographics of the area, and, and it's just now starting to change. But there was a period there where it was dead and it was depressing. And he, yeah. it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of property yeah. in an amazing area. And I just feel wow. like somehow they lost touch with something, like something mm -hmm. just didn't click. Right. And then on the other hand, you have the other mall, which is Dadeland Mall, which is one yeah. of the top grossing malls in the country. And they did they realized when yeah. da downtown Dadeland went up that they better step up their game um, and change, and they did. They changed yeah. their facade. They just finished building a hotel on their property. So they have, it's super dynamic. It's almost impossible yeah. to find parking there. They have a great mix of really, really good restaurants, and they were brilliant because what they did is they put most of the restaurants outside. So people like me, the thought of going to a mall like bleh, scares me. Um, it, I get very disoriented. I get overwhelmed. Yeah. But they had some great restaurants and they made it so that you could park and go to the restaurants without ever stepping right. foot in the mall. So yeah. I know the restaurants. I don't know much about what else is in the mall. But yeah. I mean, I know the restaurants there and they did a really good job. Well, I know knowing you, I know that you really get excited when you find like a great local business that is starting out specifically and you like to discover that. And that's a, that's a wonderful aspect of, of, of the retail sector. The next one is multifamily, which I, everybody can understand. It's apartment buildings, but it's also single family rental portfolios, student housing, RV parks. And um, this, is, this is over, yeah, senior uh, living facilities. This is again where you have an asset class that is very attractive. It's usually at the top of the list for investors and partly is because housing is a universal need. Everybody is always, you're always gonna have demand and it does have its complexities, right? In that it is very uh, labor intensive to maintain and manage and do it well. You have to invest a good amount of money into it, but multifamily worked really, really well when you are surrounded by great amenities. And what I mean by great amenities, I'm not just talking about a great shopping center with a great restaurant. I'm talking about surrounded by large centers of employment, you know, having great modes of transportation and transit, the locability of that, the proximity to other areas, all of that is, is important in the component of multifamily. Multifamily is very much connected to employment, right? And so, you know, again, that, being surrounded by large centers of employment is very important when it comes to multifamily and and then you have the structure itself. What I find interesting is that not everything is scalable and I find that there's a growth pattern in investors when it comes to multifamily where they might fire, buy a fourplex and then they'll buy another fourplex and then they'll buy a third fourplex and now they own 12 units. <laughs> but they realize that, well, when I have to change the roof, I have to change three roofs. When I have to do any plumbing work, I have to do it on three different buildings, you know. And so eventually they realize, well, what if I buy an 18 unit apartment building, right? Where now everything is in one place. I have scalability. If I have to fix a roof, it's only one roof. And so that seems to be a pattern of growth that on the multifamily side of, of investing. Again, I, I think it's one of the 
is the gateway drug from residential real estate to commercial real estate, I feel, uh, right. is multifamily. And because it's such a good crossover, right? I mean, a lot of the laws that apply to single family homes and condos also apply to multifamily, yeah. right? The discrimination right. laws and everything else. A yeah. lot of the inspections and the lead-based paint warnings that are not required in another, a different type of asset class, like that's true. Correct. Industrial yeah. or retail is still required in, in multifamily housing. And to your point, you have a fourplex with one vacancy. Well, a quarter of your income right. is gone. Right. Whereas if you scale it up, then a couple of vacancies still don't take yeah. too big of a ding out of your out of your income. No, and I, another thing that happens is all the leases are usually yearly leases. Some properties you're going to have people month to month. So you know, we'll invest in, when a landlord invests in, re, in, in retail, when they're bringing in a tenant or in industrial, you know, they're gonna invest a certain amount of money, but usually the lease is gonna be three to 10 years. So you have time to amortize that investment, you know? Right, Sometimes right. when you have to, you know, redo an entire apartment, you know that you might lose half a year of that income in the investment that you make. And then now you gotta re-rent re it again the following year. And But if you run it well, people stay for a long time. And if you have a good unit mix, which is also a, an important component of the building, the great thing is that we will have other pockets in which we'll get into each Not asset class. Episodes. Sorry, episodes. Remember, it's episodes. My bad. We're rookies here, people. Sorry, we're exactly. Rookies. We're still learning. Learning. We were told by we're my daughter, still learning. again, podcasts are <laughs> That's right. podcasts and episodes. It's only one podcast, <laughs> exactly. and there are multiple episodes. <laughs> yeah, we'll go into deep dives yeah, yeah, yeah. in each asset class in future episodes. The, the other one that has gotten a lot of attention, uh, especially nowadays, is office. Throughout the nation, office, it's been difficult in a lot of areas. Miami has been, like in many other ways, bucking the trend when it comes to office, but you have a variety of, you know, different types of offices. You have the traditional office, which is the one with, you know, the closed doors and the CEO, everyone has their own office. <laughs> then you have the executive office, which is more of a shared office, like a Regis type. Then you have the medical office, which is self-defining, your dentists and doctors. And those have been extremely popular. And it's interesting because there's been a crossover between medical office now and retail. And so a lot of retail centers now have medical office. So there was a crossover there. And then you have creative office, which is more along the lines of a ton of open space, not a lot of different cubicles, a lot of action where people have a lot of different places where they can meet within this space. And those have been doing extremely, extremely well in Miami and in South yeah. Florida because two reasons. One, so many people are in flux in terms of, well, what is, when are people gonna come back to work? Are they gonna come back to work? What does my new space requirement look like? Right. What do I need? So they're temporarily taking up creative spaces or executive offices till they figure it out. Or in our case, we don't have enough office to meet demand. So yeah. clients are waiting for product to finish being built. They already have their leases in some of the new buildings, but they're waiting for delivery and then they'll move in. And then you always you also have classes within the office, Correct. which has to do with the quality of the building, the amenities. Right. So you have class A, B, C. The trend has been a huge move towards class A. And so that's where you see a lot of class B buildings are, are getting an influx of capital 
to make right. sure that they keep up with uh, with demand. And then Class C serves its its own purpose. We would say the same thing in industrial, but in, in office, you know, we have that clarity of Class A. Right, in Class C right now, office, I think there really is no purpose for Class C office space in today's market other than to repurpose it or tear down and build something else just because the demand for Class C isn't, isn't really there. Right. You know, it's basically functionally obsolete product right. at this point. And then we head into industrial, which is another darling of the asset class. And and in here you have, I mean, such a variety, really, because you have your distribution centers, you have your flex space, you have obviously the warehouse, research and development sites, manufacturing uh, plants, you have refrigerated cold storage. And I think that that is its own thing. We've seen a huge uh, increase in demand for cold storage, especially during during and after the pandemic. This is a really interesting asset class because again, <laughs> there's a lot of differentiating factors when it comes to the physical property itself, whether it has dock high doors, which means you know that a tractor trailer can pull up and be leveled with the floor of, of, of the warehouse, or you have those big roll-up doors. Ceiling height is important. You know, are you gonna maximize the cubic square feet of the space? Are you going to rack a racking system so that now you could use, maximize the height of the space? Some tenants and some owner users have some very specific high requirements, some very specific requirements in number of doors, you know, whether they want to ramp as well. Location becomes important because if there's going to be a lot of transfer and a lot of delivery, you want to be very close to all of the highways, the expressways, all of the ways that you can interconnect, especially with, uh, with, with traffic. And there are certain areas that really have really maximized industrial in South Florida. You know, you look at Doral, you look at the Medley area, Hialeah, and then you have these, you know, smaller warehouses that also serve that purpose where a lot of businesses are started. It's almost, you know, I equate it to not having a garage, but then you go rent this, you know, <laughs> six, 700 square foot warehouse and start your business from there. So that's also an interesting, you know, dynamic that that, that is taking place. And things are changing with warehouse too, right? Which I find super interesting. I really am a geek now that I'm thinking about it. Because I, I, I do, I sit there and I look at, so you look at places like Wynwood that used to be, you know, very heavily in clothing and textiles and kind of funky and, and run down. And it was definitely more class B and C space, older, older construction, low yeah. ceilings and everything else. And then somebody said, ooh, this would be really cool to bring in art galleries and restaurants and everything else. And then they started converting, you know, so Tony yeah. Goldman and his company started converting that warehouse space into more retail, more of a retail use. And we were just talking the other day with that gentleman from Medley that has the cool concept with the short-term mechanic shops that yeah. it's really hard right now for mechanics to rent space. Yeah. So if they don't own their space when their lease is up, a lot of them are getting kicked out for a ton of different reasons. Some of them for environmental, some because they're dirty, some because they take a big toll in terms of required parking and everything yeah. else to store their cars. And so they're being moved out or areas like Doral, which are they're starting to rezone areas where mechanics were. So then I started thinking, wow, what are people going to do when they need to get their car fixed? And I'm like, oh, well, everything's going to be electric anyway. So, <laughs> so what, well, how dirty know. is a car going to be? Teslas yeah. are updated overnight. So. I don't know about that, but I will tell you this. <laughs> that it's really interesting to me because those are two 
uh, endangered species, if you will, is parking for tractor trailers and, 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 for, and for the big trucks. It's very limited, very hard to find, heavy and heavy general, equipment yeah. in general, right? And then the second thing is, you know, the mechanic shops. And the reason for that is because well, I think what investors have realized and owners of on the industrial is that they run the risk of an environmental issue on the land when they have these kinds of uses. Correct. And if they have found a way to make equal or maybe sometimes even more money by renting it to what they consider to be a clean use, that is not going to potentially damage the, you know, the, the, the environmental composition of the property, then they make that choice. But what happens is that then you have, you're left with an area that has incredibly high demand and very limited supply. So prices have gone up. And that's why, you know, when, when you go to your local mechanic, not only are prices high for a lot of the reasons that we already know, inflation and all those things, but you know, part of it is also that it, it is very difficult to find, you know, once they're in one place, they're going to probably stay right. there forever if you allow them. I will say one thing about your comment is that a warehouse is a warehouse is a warehouse is a warehouse until the zoning changes. <laughs> and then it looks like a warehouse. It functions like a warehouse. But now when there's a zoning change and that thing is not preserved, then it is no longer a warehouse. And right. so that complexity, that's another layer of complexity. By the way, that applies to office, retail, and all stuff, is that, you know, just because it looks like an office or it looks like an industrial or it looks like, you know, it looks like a warehouse or it looks like a, a retail store, doesn't mean that the zoning is there to allow for that. Right, which goes to your point always about the zoning, because you have that story about the warehouse yeah. that was until they didn't renew their certificate of use and then it was then yeah basically you have the you know this 30,000 square foot warehouse right by the Miami River and there was a zoning change there was an upzoning because the Miami city of Miami changed from their 1100 zoning plan to Miami 21 when they changed that that zoning went to a T5 oh which means that they could you could build up to five stories you could do mixed use but industrial is not part of it. Now, they had a tenant there, have been there for over 10 years, and the tenant always you know, renewed their certificate of use. But they failed to renew it when they knew they were leaving. And then an, a, an entire year passed. The, the statute in the city of Miami and in the county is that once there's a zoning change and the certificate of use is not active for more than a year, then you cannot use it for the old purpose. Right, it's so no longer grandfathered in. It's no longer grandfathered in. Right. And honestly, if the landlord would have known that, all the landlord would have had to do was go and pull, yeah, her own yeah. certificate of use, and and that's it. She would have kept it live, and, and we had tenants for the place that were clamoring for it, but they just couldn't get a certificate of use, and then it would have required a warrant, you would have had to go through a warrant process with the city of, of Miami to request a change or an exception to that zoning. It was a, a long drawn out process. It would have been very costly and you had no guarantee that you were going right, to get it, you, you know? So all those little details are important. And those are things that you learn along the way, right. but it just, it just adds to, to why we love commercial so much because, you know, nothing is ever the same. Then you have, you know, hospitality, which is a sector that is, it's its own animal. It's not only the big hotels, you have all these different classes of hotels, you know, right. basically of hospitality uh, venues. Right, hotels, motels, casinos, which we don't have much of anymore because all the casinos have been bought out <laughs> to be redeveloped. Exactly. 
No, and you have some that are co-branded. You see the, the, the amalgam of when you're going to a website to book your hotel, you see the amalgam of that growth, right? Yeah, you see the flag some versus right, the unflagged. Exactly, the flag versus the unflagged. You see what kind of amenities you're providing. Mm -hmm. You know, you see that some are, are purely corridor, outdoor yeah. corridor yeah. or or they're geared towards that business traveler that is gonna be there for a day and a half and that mm -hmm. wants a different experience. And the hospitality sector has come back incredibly strong after they had a very difficult time during the pandemic. Right. You know, They measure their revenue by their daily, their average daily rate. And those numbers are incredibly high nowadays. Right. You know, Travel has really come back. And one of the things that's so cool about hotels that we've, we've seen here is that some of the Hotels, and again, I, I noticed that every time I go to a, ho a hotel, I went to one in Palm Beach for a friend's party, and I'm like, ooh, this would be a great multifamily conversion because it's the perfect size. It's 600 square feet. It's got a kitchen. It's got a dining area. <laughs> so some, certain hotels are great for um, repurposing into multifamily, some of, especially the extended stays. No, I completely agree. Then you go into land. Right. The land is really all about the composition of the land, location, the feasibility of the land and, and, and its zoning and, and its usability. Right. If it's the, even zoned. Right? If it's even zoned. Right. Because right? you have agricultural land, mm -hmm. obviously residential, commercial land, industrial. You have farmland, ranch, timber, you know, hunting, recreational. All of that is encompassed on that. I knew an agent a long time ago when I started in the industry that all he would do is land. And, and he told me, well, I can sell land all day because I don't have to show it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, drive by. Until it's <laughs> such a large track that, you, we, you know, we're going to go and get into golf carts and just drive around and, and check out the land. But he told me that that was a big aspect of, of why he, he preferred land. And then he told me everything about land is really about the environmental quality of the land and uh, the zonability and how it is zoned, what can you build? Buyers usually look at if it's multifamily, to build multifamily or mixed use, they're looking at what you're gonna pay for a potential unit that you can develop, what you're gonna pay for potential square footage of that retail that you're gonna develop. Those things are, are incredibly important. Environmental becomes a very important component of this, as, as I mentioned, and since we're demystifying commercial real estate, basically a, a buyer will get what, a, what they call is a phase one environmental report, which is basically a survey of the area, what has been there, what has been installed, what has been in the surrounding areas, et cetera. Then they will go and, and do, if there is a trigger that there might be an issue, then they'll do a phase two, which actually requires the testing of the soil and getting a, a sense of what is going on there. And if in fact there is an issue and then, you know, you go into phase three, which is really remediation and all that other stuff. But I would say that one interesting thing that I remember that I had a buyer that was looking at a piece of land. And when I called the, the, the listing agent, the listing agent told me, look, we have it on their contract, but we're running into an issue. We have to do a phase two. I said, but nothing has ever been built there. I mean, for as long as I can remember. And this is behind a small strip center and next to a, a big mixed-use office building. We retail at the bottom, and then there is residential to the left. And then there's the road. These 20,000 square feet have never been developed. Well, the retail shopping center in the back, or there is a dry cleaner. And so, of course, that triggered it because some of those chemicals were, were getting into the land. So then imagine, you know, having to deal with that 
with right. that aspect. And then the groundwater too, right? Because right. you'd have to check the groundwater in that area exactly. and you don't think about it. Well, and in addition to the environmental reports, a lot of times you have to find out if there's an endangered animal on the property right. or something, you know, if there's right. wetlands as well. But in general, to me, land is a blank canvas, right? right. It's like what... Yeah. What is the potential? What can go here? What would look good here? And oh God, that sounds horrible to me because I'm an environmental person. <laughs> like what would be really good there is probably the forests and the rivers and the streams <laughs> and everything else. But you can look at the potential as well and and see. You no, know. but if I if I may, because I think that that is such a wonderful analogy to create it, to say it's a blank canvas. Mm -hmm. But you know how when you were in kindergarten, they taught you to draw in, within the lines? The zoning code yeah. are the lines. Right, right. And so that's kind of the way to look at it. Like, okay, here are the lines. What I always find interesting is usually developers, especially those that have experience, know I could draw outside the line if I go and ask for an exception of this, right. or if I look at this statue that has to do with reducing the parking requirements, if I build this way, if I built that way, if I add this to it, or even the application of you know Senate Bill 102, you know, Live Local Act from Florida that happened this year, people now are reevaluating, okay, maybe now we can redraw the lines. But I, th I think that that's a wonderful yeah. analogy. So. Well, and if it's agricultural, it's not zoned, right? So then you're right. pretty much open to right. what what could I what would be the best zoning for yeah. this? What's the best use? And yeah. again, I'm all for open yeah. open spaces. But then to your point about lines too, so in a lot of counties or states, they're lines that are drawn like i know in in oregon and washington you know you can't build outside certain areas and we have the same thing in miami dade with our urban development boundary so yeah. again to your point staying inside the lines it's <laughs> sometimes can be boring but for the environmental purposes sometimes yeah. it's it's needed for sure so i will say also that some people will subdivide some categories into their own asset class they're really tertiary asset classes because they're related like for example self-storage uh, a mobile home park, even senior living, the ALFs, all that stuff. Some people will separate that into its own its own thing. And then very interestingly, you have other special purposes, you right. know, which is this is where the fun starts, you know. The marinas, sports and entertainment venues, golf courses, schools, churches, airports, car wash, you know, things that are that are in that vicinity as well. And I think that becomes very interesting. I remember showing, have you ever shown a marina? I have shown yeah. a marina. I showed one up in Port St. Lucie after wow. a hurricane. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I cool. thought it was so cool and so interesting. I, sh I showed one in Isla Morada in, in the Keys. And I thought the entire business plan was incredible. And because they had the racks for all the boats, they had actual houseboats that they were renting right by the mangroves. And then they had, you know, they had a restaurant. It was really, a, really an interesting business. Yeah and, yeah, and in Port St. Lucie, that marina had some underwater rights as well, where they owned a certain percent of the land. I can't remember yeah. how many feet it was out because they had buoys and everything there for right. the sailboats and stuff to dock yeah. for out where they didn't actually need a dock dock but they had the buoys but yeah it was very very interesting asset class i do want to say that because people talk about being a generalist versus specializing but we have specialists that only sell marinas for example we you know and they do very well and then they they you begin to sell them all around the country really right, right. Uh, just because you become such an expert at that thing and i i think that that is always a very very cool endeavor 
There's another part here, another side of the commercial side, which I'll, I'll just mention it here, but it's the capital side. It's the capital allocation is how you put together some of these complex loans when it comes to development and all that stuff. Some people say that that's like a whole separate, it is definitely a, a subsection of commercial. It is not what we deal with, of course, because it's, you know, we, we deal with real property, but that is a, another important component of the ecosystem. Well, and if you're an investor and you don't specialize in one asset class, right? So, I mean, yeah. if you specialize in one asset class, but you're interested in buying something else, so let's say you, yeah. you specialize in multifamily, but you want to dabble in retail or you like that as an investment or, you like self-storage because you can see that most of your tenants need a storage space, right? But yeah. you don't know anything about self-storage, yeah. then that's where syndication comes in. And that's right. really cool too. That's exactly. again, different. It's more about how to buy and invest in property, right. which we'll have to do an episode on that. Too. We do. And I think, so. I think to your point, um, most investors will have that are successful will have a, an investment thesis. There's a reason why they like the asset class. There's a reason why they like to invest in certain locations. And what is incredibly interesting is what you just mentioned. You don't have to own the entire asset and manage it in order to be an investor in that asset. There are right. other ways in which you could do that, which is syndication. And we will get into syndication uh, you know, at a, at a later episode. I know, we're getting good, right? <laughs> Watch out. Watch out. All right, my friend, so you, do you have a stat of the day? I do. So I just have to find it. Yes, I do. Well, while, while you find it, I will say this. What I find interesting is once you specialize in an asset class, you start to look at what are the metrics that are affecting that asset class from a macro perspective and then from a micro perspective. And so, for example, as I mentioned, jobs uh, and employment, overall employment is very important when it comes to multifamily. I did want to say that if you look at as of end of 2023, the most job openings were in California, there's a million, 845,000, and in Florida with 651,000. The last two is New York and Pennsylvania. Now, however, this is, a, I think, a more important metric, which is that among states with the most job openings, Florida led all states in terms of job openings per unemployed worker, which is 2.3 nationally. Uh, nationally, it's 1.8. So we are leading all the states on the number of job openings for per unemployment uh, individual in the state of Florida. And that comes courtesy of Miami Realtors Chief Economist, Coral Rarton, who is a wonderful follow in, uh, in, in LinkedIn. Yeah, she is great to follow. And my stat comes from Statista, which if you love numbers and like to dork on numbers, that's an <laughs> awesome website as well. And this is for the market share of commercial real estate investments in the United States for 2022. Um, multifamily was 41.6% of all investments, followed by industrial at 21.2%, office at 16.2%, retail at 12.5%, hotel at 6.7%, and the bulk of 1.8% went to other asset classes. Still, multifamily always leads the way it has since 2022. I'm guessing it probably will again in yeah. 2023. And even though deal flow is going to be down for all asset classes over 2022, which was an incredibly yeah. insane year. But I think for a little bit of time there, there was we saw a, a little bit of a flip where industrial went ahead of multifamily. But I think 
I think we're seeing that. Right, but as a as a percentage of overall, it's always it's been multifamily just because there's so much more of it, right? To your point, everybody right. needs a place to live, and there's multi there's a lot of more multifamily as an overall asset class. Awesome. So thank you for joining us again. There you have it, guys. Thank you so much for being a part of this and uh, sitting between us. And we can't wait to for you to join us on the next one. Bye. For now. <laughs>